Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Stats One Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. Hello, James. Hey, Ted. You've dragged me off my deathbed for this, so it better be worth it. That's all I can say. Welcome to the new year, my friends. Happy New Year, James is dead and I'm almost dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the lurgy got me at Christmas and it's been not very nice. But it doesn't matter. No one wants to hear about that. Did you watch any football football. over Christmas? Uh, That's about the one thing I did do, kind of like lurch down the stairs and plonk myself on the sofa and watch <laughs> occasional Tottenham games and the odd, odd other one but yeah it's, it's lovely Christmas as always you know family was happy and yeah like I say football this is what we're here about lots going on straight away in the hot take of the morning it's not even take something's happened do you know that it's transfer season yeah this, this is it uh, a transfer has been made and it's not not just a little transfer it's one that will interest a lot of our listeners knowing that we reach, reach out across the pond and that is the starlet, American starlet Christian Pulisic has joined everyone's favourite club, Chelsea. Everyone's favourite club. Do you reckon? Uh, <laughs> do you reckon uh, <laughs> it might have been hoped, widely hoped, that he didn't go to Chelsea and went somewhere else? It just, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Liverpool fans are very much in, in the. I never really liked him anyway. Uh, he's <laughs> he's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's an it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because he's twenty and he's having that he's having that season where. Um, uh, you know, he, he looks electric last season. And obviously, the production line at Dortmund is, is you know, every season a new kid comes along and takes the mantle of superstar kid. And, uh, you know, Phil is yesterday's news now. 20 years old. He's, he's had it. He's finished. He's over. <laughs> Not until, you know, he's, uh, obviously Sancho's Sancho's in there and has been taking all the plaudits as the young starters. And, uh, yeah, Pulisic's season hasn't, hasn't been as um, electric as maybe before. And I suppose there's been talk that you know, this transfer has been coming anyway, so perhaps he'd been, possibly he's been slightly eased out of the team a little bit. Um, I'm still still surprised the lone back across the rest of the season, but um, well, yeah, yeah so, it's an interesting. So, one. like, let's talk through the details of this. It's uh, it's allegedly, well, I mean, not allegedly, it's been officially announced, right? But I'm not sure that the final number is. It's supposedly a 64 million euro deal. We don't know if that has add-ons inside of it or not. Often, the the full price with all of the potential add-ons is, is the one that gets quoted. Um, so like the the fun and it is fr- you know from Dortmund to Chelsea uh, with a loan back for the rest of the season. So like there's a lot of weird things going on here and um, you know, let, let's contextualize this a bit from Chelsea's perspective. Uh, right now they've got Willian and Pedro who are who are aging. Um, strongly likely to move on Cesc, um, you know, this window potentially for good. Uh, so they need to, to rebuild in a number of different ways. We've talked about that. Like they've got weird parts. Um, the one thing that, that they're really missing is, is sort of like an additional score, uh, but also creative player from, from wide. Um, the question is like, what is Aiden Hazard's role? Is he going to turn into, um, Dries Mertens uh, at Napoli, essentially, for, for Sarri. Like, that's an open question. But obviously, so Chelsea need to get younger. Um, there's some weird stuff going on with, with this one, not least being the price, right? So $64 million for a kid whose contract is up in 2020. That's, that's 18 months. But he's also getting loaned back, which means that they didn't really want him for right now. This isn't a right now transfer. This is a buy talent for the future transfer. Does that make sense to you? It's not very Chelsea, is it? If you think about how we've seen Chelsea operate in the past, sixty-four million feels fine, but I didn't realise the contract was so 
so short. Well, see, exactly. Like that's that's the thing, and and so like for me, I given that his you know some of the shine had come off the season, his best season in in the data and and probably at, at Dortmund period was the sixteen seventeen season. So you know last year was fine, not that much different. Um, profiles is a is a good wide dribbler. Uh, loses the ball fairly frequently though, so like you know he's not not fully the finished article. Only twenty. So like that that also has like a big perk to it. Didn't necessarily fit into Favre's system as well. And Sancho, who we'll talk about in a minute, you know, has has come on and, and sort of better profile there. Also, like he's competing with with sort of the similar spot as Royce, and Royce is is you know their star at the moment. So it's <clears throat> for me, I look at it and it's not a bad buy from a talent perspective. Like this seems useful. Um, you know, the, I don't think that Pulisic shows the shot volume where he's going to to really be able to to become like a Ronaldo level scorer from wide uh but he's a very good young player uh he's also got uh American uh, national team pedigree so like you get good marketing off of it you know the we've seen like whenever one of the big Premier League teams signs a good American player they get a long-term boost on their American fandom uh there are plenty of Fulham fans in the U.S. for like no apparent reason other than Fulham kept just kept bringing U.S. players into into their squad. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like for me, it's too much uh, by probably fifteen to twenty million based on his contract, right? Um, right. And and you're not really you don't need him for right now. So that again means that like you know you're basically buying a kid with one year left on his contract. Why? But maybe Chelsea don't care about the money that much. I don't. That's not really in for me. It's just like you know someone should have negotiated this a little bit better. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, it's fine. It's just that not perfect, you know. I haven't written for some of the large American organizations. I can tell you, if you if you give them a Pulisic story, they'll bite your arm off for it. So you know, <laughs> you know, he's he certainly is the the hot ticket when it comes to soccer in America. Um, I he can't I can't help but think of Sterling because uh, Sterling had that electric season where he was seventeen, eighteen, as part of that good Liverpool side. Yeah, and then it felt like he. Um, he kind of like didn't kick on. It took him a while to kick on. He had a couple of seasons where he, you know, didn't look like he'd improved, and that feels like this. We've got a similar story with Pulisic here, which, which again, you probably unwise to rule out the quality of what you saw in sixteen seventeen, and presume that he's not going to somewhat somewhere along the line pick it up again. Dortmund's a little bit odd as well at the moment. They this revolving door of transfers every season they've got you know and they're all super young which is the insane mm. thing right so like you bring in Usman Develli you sell him for like 130 million or something some insane number yeah. <laughs> and then, then you've got Pulisic who's still there um and then uh Sancho who I mean if you had to put a price on Jaden Sancho right now it's a big number and it's yeah. not 64 million it's bigger than that it's probably double that yeah he's uh, absolutely I mean with, with the you know once he's embedded into the England team as well which looks like it's you know inevitable then yeah name your price for him really and um, so so like looking at that profile right like let's say that the Bundesliga is a little easier than it was like three years ago but you have a kid who's putting up around a 0.6 xg and xg assisted per 90 at age 18 with like 3.5 dribbles per 90 like you're looking at, at definitely the same range as Usman Dembele and potentially even better that's yeah. that's pretty sparkling, and obviously, you know, City, City didn't want to give him playing time. He probably still wouldn't have gotten that much playing time. Like Pep has not been particularly, 
you know, giving of, of playing time for some of their younger players. They actually have like a better deep squad. They've got Foden, they've got Zinchenko, who I think should be starting at a, a probably a, a Champions League club that's not City. Um, but yeah, they so like it, Sancho's choice made a lot of sense, and you're seeing these guys. So the, the next question comes on if Pulisic is coming in. We know that Willian and Pedro are a bit older. Sorry's saying that it's hard for him to play young players because he has to win right now, which is very true um, inside the Premier League. But like, what happens to Callum Hudson-Odoi and the other players at Chelsea who they have to divest right now because that of the FIFA rule that changed? Yeah, I mean, there's talk of talk of Hudson-Odoi being going to Bayern, isn't there? There's talk of deals deals with him. I mean, he, he does look at a talent and someone you'd want to hold on to. But the signing of... I mean, I don't know, maybe they think they're going to hold on to him and Pulisic will um, compliment him. I mean, you can, you can, the thing is, these, these attacking kind of winger types, you, these days you can kind of flip, flip their positions around a little bit, can't you? You can, you can work them off either side or, um, you know, train them up, especially when they're young. Um, but yeah, like you say, you'd be surprised to see if Sari was like committed to, to integrating a bunch of youth. It hasn't looked like he wants to rotate hardly at all this season. Like even someone like Ruben Loftus Cheek, who, you know, really is at a stage where he should be playing a lot of minutes for whoever he's playing for, um, has had kind of sporadic backup minutes and, you know, struggle to get starts. So, yeah, when you look further down the list, unless unless Hazard will Hazard finally go to Madrid or somewhere, you know. I don't think so. I I think that I think it feels like Sari is committed to to playing Hazard as as basically this false nine role. He wants a super mobile um, creator part score, but like they get, he wants to get scoring off of the wings. Uh, as I said, I'm not sure if, if Pulisic in terms of like goal scoring is there. They definitely need a, sort of a more true eight. Uh, as, as much as I love N'Golo Kante scoring Spanish Inquisition goals, um, the the next question is is more of a systemic one, which I have to ask. Is the entirety of the English sort of Premier League academy system undervaluing their best players? Because it feels like it. It really does now. Well, there's so many good young players at the moment coming through in England, aren't there? There's, there's, there's never been, I don't think there's anything, ever been anything like it, the amount of the volume of potential talent that looks like it's coming through. You know, you list, I've seen lists of uh, 100 you know, best players, young players in the, in the world, and there's 20 English players on there and stuff like that. It's, it really is unheard of, so... Yeah, just at the exact time where it's probably becoming harder and harder, <laughs> unless you're a Tottenham midfielder, um, to get into the first team of one of these big, <laughs> big squads. But um, it felt really stupid for Tammy Abraham to go back to the championship, and he just he's scoring like nearly a goal a game. It's like crazy how good he is down there. Way too good physically. He's like he's a full grown man at age 21. Like this is a kid that that should be in that sort of. You know, top twelve to top six range right now, and probably is going to be a Champions League player. But he got consigned to the the loan thing. Er then, er then. I've looked at. I've, I had a quick because you know we're into transfer season. This isn't technically a transfer pod, but we've uh, you know we're into that range. It's definitely a transfer pod. <laughs> all right, all right. I had a look. At, I had a quick look at the, no one tell James <laughs> the paper talk uh, nonsense, which is uh, oh, sorry the paper talk from our reliable uh, newspapers. Um, one of the things they'd someone has written is that Wolves could lead the chase for Tammy Abraham as he prepares to cut short his loan spell at Aston Villa. That might make sense. They could do a bit of backup up front, uh, or even you know someone else to alternate with Jimenez. So yeah, that's that wouldn't be a bad slot for him, would it? Oh, so here's a, another good one. Um, Builder reporting uh, that Ex Galanki, 
is going to uh, are very likely to go to Schalke for a bit. Really? Yeah. I thought he was going to like Palace or something. Palace or that, now? Let's be honest. Should he go to Schalke or should he go to Palace? Well, yeah, he should. Um, wherever he goes, wherever he'd like to go, it's up to him. Well, <laughs> when you when you look at Germany and you look at the young English players that are succeeding in Germany versus the people that are succeeding at Palace, period, he should probably just go to Germany. Yeah, I guess <laughs> while, um, while he's got freedom of movement. <laughs> It's been an interesting story with him at Liverpool, isn't it? Because you'd thought that he would have had... Uh, I'm not saying he would have started many games, but he would have had more of a look in, and he really had, does seem to be down the pecking order there for some reason, despite his um, rather uh, you know, appealing-looking early numbers last season. Yeah, um, when, when playing in a good team, he looked like he was pretty good, minus the, the goal bit. But as we know, if you're able to put up you know, pretty good expected goals on on creating a high volume of chances. You're probably going to score. We see this again and again inside of football. Yeah. Right now, what have we got next? What was our next transfer? We had another uh, one we were going to talk about. So Sengiz Under at hmm. Roma has been rumored uh, as a source of like a fifty million bid from Arsenal. Really? Yeah. Arsenal seems to have got this. It's it's your your granddad or your grandson is there transfer policy at the moment there's no middle ground so he'd firmly be in the grandson kind of uh not that i'm that old but yeah he's very, very they're very trying to the... balance out the average age profile by literally having extremes of average so if they bring <laughs> in gary cahill and Sengiz under they've you know added a, a peak player effectively yeah. <laughs> it's a new it's a new way of doing it this is what analytics gets you but um yeah no so what do you think about him ted i've i he's I, I'm not, not going to pretend I've seen lots of him. Uh, he, he seems to be the kind of guy that turns up on highlight reels and with look, look what he's just done. He scores some good goals and um, he is exciting yeah. to watch. My concerns are that what are they buying him for? Right? Do they want him as a wide forward? Um, you know, what are they what are they using that player profile for? And I think to some extent, like we don't fully understand what Emery wants out of his system. He's got a lot of mismatched parts that certainly don't fit what he's looking at. He's kind of um, marginalized Mesut Ozil and Aaron Ramsey off and on. Although Ramsey's health like has to be you've gotta you gotta be very careful about his workload because like he will just end up with a soft tissue injury uh, if you don't. Um, so like the the question is what do people what should they be looking for and does under make sense and does he make sense at that price, right? Uh, under might make sense, uh, not necessarily at that price. What I'm confused about is like the, the lack of dribble numbers. Um, our data has him as, as like a pretty moderate dribble f- dribbler for a wide player. And and that to me, like that's not what Arsenal need right now. They need somebody that, that can help really progress the ball and, and move quickly forward. Uh, it might be that they're looking more for a direct Mesodozo replacement, which kind of makes sense but like again maybe not necessarily this player for that price um you know you're when you get into that that 50 to 60 to 70 million range like you're banking on somebody that should be contributing pretty much right now or, or within a relative immediate period and this is actually one of the things that bothers me about other people's evaluations of transfers because like you don't know what they're buying him for right um <clears throat> there's there's one uh methodology that says well you know we're looking if if the transfers uh, that you buy make it into like 50% of the first team minutes uh, in their first year. And I'm like, that's a ridiculous way to look at it because like at least half of the transfers you're buying are, are squad players, right? Like 
if you have a 22-man squad, half of those guys are squad players and half of them are not. You don't necessarily know, like, what the transition and the phasing is. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, the question is, like, do they have a player they, they might really like as a young talent? Sure. Does his his output right now indicate that he you should be really excited by him? And I'm, I'm a little more on the fence about that. And you've done a lot of work on with me on the young player scouting and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I, I think that... At that price, I would be cautious. At like thirty to thirty-two, maybe that's a talent buy. But at fifty-five, like it's it, he's got to be to me better than that. I'm sure we can find someone else. Um, <laughs> not not nothing against him, but like just looking at your shot map now, and hey, no, it's not one of these ones. People we keep getting told off. People like there's nothing wrong with long-range shooting necessarily. <laughs> if it's you're like, talented yeah, at it, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> he hasn't got one of those shot maps. He's got one of these wide shot maps yeah, where yeah. you get like everything from out like, out wide. And the, the Suso shot map. That's harder to like argue a case for, I think, because like they have, you know, incredibly few players are talented enough to score goals from anywhere, kind of wide of the six-yard box. It's just one of these funny little quirks of football. So, you know, if you're stacking up the numbers of your shots there, it's maybe not a great thing. I was getting hammered by some like some partial Milan fans talking about Suso and like all of his shots and how, you know. With respect to him, he might be a slightly good long-range shooter, but like he takes a lot of terrible shots. Like not just bad shots, but terrible shots. They're like well to the right and beyond the D from outside the box. Like those are bad shots. I don't care. Like this is the the keeper can cover those. Uh, but he had like a couple, you know, he had a couple good shots and a couple like one that squipped in. Um, and suddenly people are like, oh, he's good at long-range shooting. Well, look, Milan just went through uh, a streak over Christmas where they hadn't scored in four games, and now Suso has like two point. 2.5 or 2.5 expected goals and four goals on 58 shots from his terrible positions, all of which look like they have a force field. So, you know, maybe we can back down a little bit and say that, you know, those shots aren't so great and they might find a better way to go about it. I don't know. Yeah, he's a wild, isn't he? Because he has scored goals from that, that, that tiny little square that he shoots from, like in the back corner behind the box. But then, yeah, that seems to be generally where he shoots from. I mean, last year he had six goals on 94 shots, all of which, again, have a force field. The, oh, yeah. There could be, He might be a good long-range shooter, but there are almost certainly better possession outcomes than a 2% shot on a regular basis. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But anyway, anyway so we diverse. About unders, yeah, he 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 doesn't necessarily get into the box, which is where a lot of the best chances are created from. So yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, we'll see about that one. I mean, again, it's a it's a rumor at the moment, but that's you know that's what we've got early early in the window. We evaluate rumors for those who are new here and all of the new <laughs> people that have come along over the last year or two for uh, on the Stats Bump Pod. We uh, we tend to evaluate rumors and say. You know, does this make sense? Do we do we think this is good? Occasionally, we'll toss in another player that might be interested to look at. Although I've gotten like the the Jonah Hill, you know, cut it, don't say anything uh, type DMs a couple times from uh, from teams recently. Like, don't talk about that guy. Don't <laughs> let's just not talk about players. All right. Uh, so uh, you know, we we try and find a balance. We'll talk about the rumors. Um, we won't necessarily find new players for you. Very, let's very quickly, Paul, because we are going to move on to other things. But like very quickly, I just wanted we should mention Amadou Haidara, who's he's looks like uh, he's sealed a transfer to uh, Leipzig, isn't he, from Salzburg? And I think that was a that was a deal that was <laughs> you could see coming a way off, <laughs> but also one that I think is probably a favourable deal. I like him as a player, and uh, so that was a. That's uh, interesting that he's gone there. It's hard to evaluate the inter 
Red Bull transfers, right? <laughs> as if you, as if anyone ever had a, anyone else ever had a chance to get in on those deals. You just, you just don't know, do you? <laughs> no, he's he's tremendous. Um, his age and what he does on the pitch, like really outstanding. Uh, great tackler. He's turned into like uh, you know the full dervish of a midfielder. Um, and and Salzburg's great talent pipeline too. They they turn out really really good players. Not least with you know, help from their, their coaching staff, uh, of whom, you know, Brene Marich, longtime relationship with, uh, worked with us as, uh, as an independent scout back in the, in the Brentford days, but also like, you know, he's a, he's a great tactical theoretician and Marco Rose, who seems to be like one of the, the best young names in the, in the coaching world and is going to end up with a really good job after this one. Yeah. And, uh, they've just, has he gone, has he gone now or is it this summer? I can't remember. I think it's Hydara has moved, uh, this window. And, yeah, and when yeah, yeah. he didn't move this summer for like a pretty big money move to like a mm. bigger club, you were you're almost certain that he was going to go off to Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. and he was, he's some, someone we liked a bit along the way. Uh, right. So anyway, moving on, uh, back to the Premier League. We've got a big match coming up uh, this Thursday, Thursday Thursday night football. Apparently, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about things that are painful to me right now in terms of monetarily. <laughs> the relentless march of Liverpool and their uh, their inerring challenge towards the title which which wasn't quite the case like three weeks ago when we last did a podcast and yeah. now you look at it and it's, it feels like it feels like feels like they're gonna have to no i shouldn't say it they're gonna have to let something slip to um, oh james so i what was it five weeks ago i i was talking about there won't be a title race and you know city's numbers look so good that i made this silly bet um to say that you know it, it's 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 in fun um, and the reason why was because the models were, were like so positive about City and, and Liverpool were probably overperforming a bit. Um, looking at <laughs> looking at the numbers. Uh, so since uh, November 1st, so we'll, we'll say like just over the last two months, um, Liverpool with a, an expected goals uh, per match of two and they're shooting just over 16 times a match. And then the defending side, is uh, you know they're giving up uh, a little over eight shots and expected goals against of 0.84. So like very good numbers, 1.2, 1. Um, 1.16, something like that in terms of like the gap. One of the big things that Liverpool have is like 0.42 uh, set piece expected goals per game, which is very strong. And we know that you know Liverpool are a smart team. They listen to allegedly smart people that talk about the value of set pieces. And this season they've they've put uh, a much higher emphasis on that before. Now, City, <clears throat> I think it was on Nicola McCarthy's podcast uh, in the summertime. She asked me, you know, does anybody have a chance to compete against City? And I was like, oh, it's, you know, the Centurions coming off that title. It's, um, it's, it's tricky to, to see that. But if it were to happen, it would take some injury luck. And in particular, you would need for Fernandinho to go down. And we, we know that De Bruyne was injured. So like those two things could combine to cause some problems. They have combined to cause some problems. <laughs> and, and I think what, what's most interesting is we know that City had a, a transfer basically get rejected by, um, the, I think it was by the FA, uh, for a work permit right at the deadline of a defensive midfielder. And it, it, it would be really intriguing if City were to basically 
lose two titles in Pep's first three seasons because of squad screw-ups or squad management screw-ups. Um, yeah, the first one, they, they were just too old at fullbacks. So anyway, going back to the numbers. Um, so City, since uh, 11, the 1st of uh, November, have 1.81 XG, which is almost a full uh, goal down from where they were. They have 0.13 set-piece expected goals. So Liverpool are basically a third or 0 0.30 goals above them in terms of set-pieces. And then defensively, they're at 0.83. So defenses are basically the same. But what's fallen off for, for City is their attack. And it might be just because they can't maintain that level of attack while still having defensive stability. But it has cost them a bit. And they're only shooting 14 and a half times a game uh, since November, which is a big drop for them, like nearly five shots a game. Yeah, I think Katie, uh, was it Katie? Someone, someone was on about this quite early on. It's like their, their, shot, their shooting's gone down, their shooting's gone down. Alert, alert kind of thing. And it's like... Okay, there's still a bit of um, one of those things kind of going on, like the bloody Andros Townsend goal, which <laughs> which uh, you could hit that a million times and it wouldn't go in. It's an absolute <laughs> goal of the season, that one. Um, yeah, I'm. I, it's intriguing because uh, they they went and kind of dispatched uh, Southampton so summarily uh, the other day, and Fernando Fernandinho was back in there. Um, I'm more inclined to think it's 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 a blip. Uh, I think generally, I mean, the thing is, Liverpool haven't had a blip all season. And interestingly, the last two titles have been won off basically exactly this: Chelsea sixteen seventeen, Man City seventeen eighteen. Both had insane autumns where they just went on win streaks and or just, you know just didn't lose any games and just like you know cement themselves at the top of the league and then kind of not coasted in from there, but uh, you know didn't have to work quite so hard in the second half of the season because they'd done all the hard work early on. And to be fair, Man City were right with Liverpool until about three games ago. Um, the thing is, Liverpool not dropping any points whatsoever at the moment. It means two odd losses to Man City, which, you know, to be fair, they weren't entirely undeserved. Uh, the City's attack wasn't particularly lethal in the, in the, um, in the defeats. Uh, so... There you go, there's your six-point gap. Of course, everything now rests it's heavily ahead, right? Seven points, right? Uh, I can't think. Yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham are in the mix somewhere. Tottenham yeah, have snuck in, but they've played an extra match. Yeah, and then um, obviously Man City, Liverpool coming up now. Man City, Liverpool part one or Liverpool, Man City was an absolute well, one for the purest. I think is the kind way of putting it. There's <laughs> thirteen shots in total, like just nothing doing whatsoever. It was a shit show. And everyone just turned <laughs> up and said, "Like we'll take a point. That's fine." Well, and I think so. That can't happen this time. With a, no. with a seven point gap, and this is the only chance that the city get a chance to to make it up in the in the run in. Like they need to win for this to be competitive, but they also need to not lose because then you're at a ten point gap and it's done. Mm. And the city, yeah, city at home, like generally strong at home. Liverpool, you can't get past this without talking about Liverpool's defense, which is insanely is both very very good and very very getting the run of it. At yep. the moment, yeah, both things are two things are true, as as Mike Goodman might say. Yeah, and that means that you know two two things will happen. They'll continue to not concede that many goals, but they'll probably start conceding slightly more than they have this season. Like you know, I think I think on our numbers we've got them as about half. It may, it may even be under half the amount of goals expected that they've conceded, which is absolutely out of this world. You know, it's, it, 
if they conceded 10, 12, 13 goals, you'd still be like, oh, that's they're doing really well. But if you say the part of that's due to Allison, though, right? Like we we now. So it was. Int- I was reading something recently where somebody was talking about you know expected goals needs to factor in player factors, and this is somebody that should understand like large sample statistics, but the amount the amount of data that you need in order to build player factors into most shots, um, you can only get it for forwards. So like all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, midfielders are pretty average because they don't take enough shots and, and defenders in particular, you have no idea. Uh, set piece shots also get wonky because you don't know if like they're talented set pieces or not because you, it's hard to build the, the sample size to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, for keepers, I think it's probably more possible and you might be able to build basically a weighted skills type expected goals model, especially with, with our stuff as you go on. So we get like one more season worth of data and that's, that's certainly possible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the type of thing where like Allison has been really good and he's helped them as well. And if you have a lot of high skill players, they will outperform the model period. But all that all Liverpool needed this season was a keeper to save like league average volume of mm-hmm. um, shots, which they haven't had in previous seasons. Right. It was an obvious upgrade. They probably, you know, for all the um, rightful praise that Liverpool's uh, recruitment team have got for getting it right and securing their targets over time, like keeper is one position where they, that this was uh, evident for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> they could have uh, could have gone out and got another keeper. Well, and they tried with Carius, and that went weird and. So yeah, I, he was a little he was a little bit unlucky. I, don't, I think in the back end of last season, his his form was was fine. Yeah, uh, cl- I, closer to league average than um, the than final what had come before. Sort of, yeah, so the Champions League final kind of made that really awkward. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got no, no qualms with them at all. Them going out and buying probably the you know one of the two best keepers in the world. And that was, that was definitely the right thing to do, and it's paid off. But boy, has it paid off. That's yeah. the thing. I don't think, even if we just, like, you know, in simple terms, we just say, like, you know, Alisson doesn't just bring you average uh, shot stopping, he brings you above average shot stopping. The rates that they're shot, stopping shots at the moment are even signif- they're significantly beyond that. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, the, I disagree the, the, with you. That area where they can move in, but the thing is, it shouldn't. It, sh- it might not even matter. Like, you know, it's not a case where Liverpool are edging games one nil, and if they start conceding goals, it's like, oh, you're going to drop points. They're not. They're crushing teams. You know, if they if they if they win games four one and foot instead of four nil, or three one instead of three nil, three two, you know, there's there's still plenty enough in Liverpool's numbers to suggest that they're a good team that just needed. Uh, that just needs its defence to become more stable and stop shipping goals like it had in previous years. It was interesting. I was looking at their their how we've got their, their expected goals numbers from this season to last season, and the you know the plus minus on that is they're 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 up this year, but it's only like 0.15 in total. It's not like some huge change of like oh suddenly this Liverpool team's taken an enormous step forward in goal expectation. It they were they had the kind of the basis of um a good team last season. They just weren't quite getting the execution right and obviously a lot of that was to do with uh, shipping unnecessary goals and you know, not being quite as solid as they could be. But it's all ticked right this season and here we are. We talked about it earlier in the season where they they looked like they were again a very good team. It was just the city were so insanely good that yeah. you know you weren't, and they they managed to maintain most of their insanity until they basically won the league last year. Mm. Um, so what are we expecting on Thursday night? Because this is this is the game of the year, right? Like this is the game of the season. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's going to be fascinating because Liverpool have got no reason to fear Man City at all. If they want, if if. If if Man City want to come and throw rocks at them, then Liverpool will just throw rocks straight back. Um, especially in the 
Champions League, the first leg of this, uh, the knockout match in last season. Um, and you know, Liverpool, the one team that you feel like can get can get under Man City's um, and under Man City's skin and just kind of like strip the ball off them high up and create good chances. And they're not going to fear they're not going to fear them if it comes that way. Like the Man City, uh, sorry, Liverpool, Man United is a good example of a, a match where they could have quite easily taken it a little easier and Liverpool just absolutely burned them off and just thought yep yeah, we could we can just do this to you obviously it's unlikely you're going to annihilate Man City like they annihilated Man United but Liverpool can turn up and play any way they want to at the moment that's that's the kind of form they're in that's the kind of team they are and Man City they're going to play it the way they're always going to play it but there's there's always that question mark about you know they can just turn it you know, Kyle Walker, poor Kyle Walker. <laughs> Just a, a little wee Kyle Walker mistake. And uh... there were two on that game. That was a very bad Kyle Walker game. And that's kind of the way it is at the top level, right? You can't have bad games or it becomes very noticeable. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is it. When Liverpool have drawn three games all season, there's just no room for error for anyone, basically. Let's move on. What should we What should we go to now? We've, uh... Let's go back to Andrew Townsend real quick. <laughs> Go on then. This is like a, a long-term favorite subject. Um, so, so Andrews Townsend. Uh, I think Dan Altman said that, like, he thought that Townsend was a was a good finisher um, after that goal. And I um, and I'm sure that Dan's opinion is is based on on data and analysis. But like, we don't see that at all. Like, we see Townsend sort of fluctuating around average. Um, and most of his goals have come like from longer range. So maybe he's a bad finisher when he gets closer. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's the type of thing where like, yeah, that was a wonder goal and they occasionally happen if you take enough of those shots. Uh, Townsend exactly on his expected goals this season and pretty much in and around that historically last year, he was, you know, a 1.25 goals below it, um, missed all of his shots from basically outside of the box. He had one inside the D. <clears throat> But yeah, so anyway, Andrews Townsend, a good finisher? Probably not. Um, continue, continues on with his habit of, of occasionally scoring brilliant goals because he shoots enough from long range that that will happen. I just like to say that goal, that that goal, right? I mean, again, people criticise him for taking long range shots. I don't know. It's looping up out of defence. It's coming down. You just, you're, you know, you're, you're a, uh, you're a confident shooter. I'd say you, mm. I'd say he was definitely a confident shooter. Sure. You see it landing on your preferred foot. You're away at Man City. It's thirty yards out. What the hell? I have no sure. I have no problem with that. Actually, there was a there was a game over the over the break where um, Stuart Armstrong had a long shot. I think off of a corner, and it was one one uh, against West Ham, and he basically shoots into a wall of dudes not realizing kind of the situation smart enough. And Armstrong might be a good long-range shooter, but, like, you need to be contextual about this. That ball needed to not come back for a counterattack. And suddenly yeah, it was yeah. basically a 5v1 counterattack, and, and they got picked apart, and that was the game. And so you have to be careful about that, too. I, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not really complaining about the shot. I think Andros you know, has had issues with shot selection for a long time. Uh, he hasn't necessarily played on a team that's great at creating, you know, close chances anyway. Uh, I was just disagreeing with the idea that you know he in particular is a good long-range shooter. You should have your long-range shooters take more shots from distance than you would have the bad shooters, but you have to profile that as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, some I feel like um, it might just be because I've watched lots of Tottenham recently, but I feel like it this season, as much as anything, we're seeing a lot of fast break kind of chances created, and a lot of fast break goals. And the difference between the, your good teams and your bad teams is obviously the ability to 
um, convert these things into chances into goals. Tottenham very good at it. Um, Fulham so, could have had two against Arsenal in the first like fifteen minutes yesterday, and didn't right, it, okay. and suddenly Arsenal took over the game. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't see that. But um, yeah, I, I did a little bit of re- research on this, and all all the teams you expect are at the top, and all the teams you expect are at the you don't expect are at the bottom. So it all kind of lines up quite well. I wonder if it's a it's a an added feature of uh, of this season, or if it's just me. My uh, me noticing something and then seeing it all the time, confirmation bias of something that happens anyway. But it does feel like the, you know the the fast break is is um, is certainly a, a feature of uh, of the modern Premier League anyway. Well, it, it is, and it's it's important. Um, I've been working back through some some stuff that I did early on about the importance here, and the yeah, I'm I'm putting it in writing um, so that people can have it for the long term. But it is a big deal for you to take advantage of those chances where you might get to attack an unset defense. And this is the consistent way that you get to do it. And so if you attack in numbers, when you get those opportunities, you have a better chance of, of scoring them. And you know it only takes one of those goals basically to, to win you the game. And you're not giving up that much, hopefully, on those chances that you have, so. Well, and potentially as a, as a kind of deviation away from um, like, Tottenham are a good example. They've over the years against lesser teams, they've continually faced packed defences, and you know the kind of Tottenham game where they bang on the door and just pass the ball around and just keep plugging away and trying to generate chances against a set defence, um, and maybe get a late goal kind of thing. That's happened so many times. Yet Tottenham don't quite seem to be playing in that fashion anymore, and their numbers don't look great at all. They're breaking faster, though. <laughs> yeah, but this is it. So maybe just like you know, holding off a little bit more, keeping the ball back, forcing teams out, and trying to create space higher up. It could again be one of these like little tweaks that's coming into the game to, you know, for better teams to try and. Um, break through you know lesser defenses yeah we we might need to take the shot maps and, and revamp them a little bit to include fast break shots there uh who we got now um the Solskjaer effect <laughs> man united back in the game they're stomping teams yeah farewell Mourinho. Paul was dancing everything looks great doesn't it ted it's looking really really good and the thing is man united should be beating up lesser teams with the talent they've got and they are and congratulations to alex ferguson on his latest tenure as Man United manager. It's going well. So the, I think the most entertaining bit about all of this is all of the Spurs fans that are talking about what a great manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is and <laughs> how he should get a permanent appointment. Seems reasonable to me. <laughs> it's, it's like the days when Spurs fans were telling us what a great manager Arsene Wenger had been and they hoped that, it, that Arsenal would keep him on for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> a lifetime appointment. All these things seem entirely fair to me. <laughs> For those who don't know, James is a Spurs fan. <laughs> He's like laying low right now. So I, I was I, I was telling James I was complaining a little bit because when Mourinho was let go, I think we'd just done our last podcast for before the break. And uh, I, I basically wanted to ask him unprompted whether Pochettino was going to Man United or Spur or uh, or Real Madrid during the summertime and just see what his reaction was. So unfortunately, yeah. he's been prepped for that. But um, so like the nice bit about when is actually a smart move when United let Mourinho go, they they were facing an incredibly soft bit of schedule. And so like the new manager is always going to get a bump off of this and you'll always get some good PR and shine off of it unless it was disastrous. But like, you know, it wouldn't be much more disastrous than it had been before. 
but it, apparently it's helpful to face like Bournemouth at home and Huddersfield and uh, it was Cardiff. Yeah, if if you needed to have a, a new manager start off on a pretty good run, the only other team you'd add is like even Burnley could get a little scrappy, but you, you definitely add Fulham in there. As, you're like, look, boys, just go attack, just go attack and have fun. It's Fulham. Um, so anyway, that that has happened, and and Pogba has has been having fun, and they look like they're good, and we have no idea what to expect uh, because the schedule is so slanted. Obviously, they've had a good run, and there is always a bump of coming out from like a, a sort of disciplinarian manager who'd lost the the dressing room, if you want to believe that. Um, you know, would you make a decision to keep Solskjaer on long term right now? No, of course not. Um, but it's going to be difficult, though, isn't it? If you get to a situation where, I mean, yeah, it's early days; they've only beaten like lesser teams, kind of thing. Uh, he'll really find it. We'll really find out what this this squad's made of when they come up against some of the better teams and if they can get results there. But if they do go through this season and they, you know, they're not out of it for top four if they go on a run. Well, they've uh, already gone on a run, right? Like yeah, nine, quite. Nine points from three games is a run, and they're fairly competitive. Arsenal are faltering a little bit. Um, Chelsea's results are a bit in and out, and um, so Sorry, this you know big it's not for me there. <laughs> but you know the top four doesn't 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 feel quite as out of reach as it did three weeks ago. Actually, um, looking at the table, it's worth mentioning that like there are three very clear tiers now. Mm, um, yeah, with with Manchester United potentially able to to move on up, <laughs> they've actually decided they want to be part of the top tier now. Yeah, yeah we, we we were taking a break for most of the season, but like they're still six points back from fourth, and they're eight points back from. Uh, you know they do have a game in hand, but they're they're eight point back from fourth. Uh, sorry, six point back from Arsenal with a game in hand. Um, so like that's a that's a huge gap at this point. Now they could, but it's pretty unlikely because the rest of the season has been so bad. But like if you go after like Arsenal are on forty one, um, having played twenty one, so like you're nearly at two points a game. We don't actually think that's sustainable for like most of these top teams. They've been pretty lucky on the run. Um, then you drop down to to Manchester United at thirty five. Then there's like the 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 middle class gap um, where you've got a bunch of teams between thirty one and twenty five points. They're all basically safe. They're scrapping for for seventh to thirteenth, <laughs> which is sure the Premier League be- best league in the world. I'm saying <laughs> thrill a minute every every. But week. it is scrappy, right? Yeah. And and you know, like Liverpool used to finish seventh. An eighth. Like, let's not forget that. Like, there yeah, were yeah. plenty of years where, like, that was that was garbage. It was like, you know, there were some years where it was like a top two and everybody else. There were plenty of years where it was like the top four, but it was just like the big four. Uh, Everton had a break in with under Moyes, but like that was like the case. Now it's like a pretty clear six with Leicester winning a title. Liverpool having gone from like really, really not very good for a long time. Up into into regularly challenging for titles now, or, or well, I mean, definitely top four this year challenging for title. But that middle tier is is like an interesting tier. United have decided that they're big enough to break out of that, you know, and it's yep. for United fans. But uh, Leicester Wolves, Watford, Everton, West Ham, Bournemouth, who've been slumping but still able to get some points, and then Brighton, who you know, you feel are strongly overperforming, but. And, and dreadful to watch, but still, like they're not getting relegated in almost any circumstances. They'd be unlucky. They, I mean, of the of the, of the teams in that little section, there'll always be a team that'll fall out of the mid range into the kind of bottom range. You could easily see Brighton going on a little bad run when they lose three or four games, and suddenly they're not far away from, um, you know, your Palaces and your Newcastle. Well, and, and, and Palace were were like dead and gone last year, uh, according to everybody except the stats guys, which is kind of the opposite yeah. of how how it been before. 
Like Palace were absolutely committed to relegation after like seven or eight games last year because they weren't scoring and they looked terrible. And they finished 11th, right? So like, you know, you can certainly move up and down this, but they they basically regressed to to their mean on on points. They still look like they could be a little better this year. They've got the weirdest sort of shooting slump, multi-year shooting slump in, in ages, but they also haven't really spent much to fix that. Um, so yeah, like that's the middle tier. And it was, you know, United, fine. We'll see what happens. Like we'll see how Solskjaer does. I don't think, Molde were fine. Like Molde weren't amazing up in Norway, but Molde were fine. Um, but like the, there was a thing in the media recently about Claude Puel uh, being under pressure at Leicester. And I'm looking at that like, that doesn't make any sense. Like unless you've got crazy owners, like there's no way he should be under pressure because he's doing fine. It's not exciting. You know, they're scoring just over a goal a game, but they're only giving up a goal a game. So, you know, they're grinding out points. And there's right now they're seventh. And then there was this thing that says that, well, now that Leicester beat Everton 1-0 at Everton yesterday, uh, Marco Silva has swapped with with Claude Puel. And I'm just like, look, these guys shouldn't be under pressure. They're, they're basically like on expectation. In particular, uh, Everton like are a multi-year sort of revamp project and and should get better. But like, what are you expecting from them? Like, you want them to be fifth? All right, good luck with that. Yeah, I think like, for, for Everton particularly, it's just because they've lost a few recently. But they, I mean, that's, that's an inevitable kind of consequence of... Um, if you know the short-term thinking that you're going to get around the kind of traditional press of like, you know, is it is it's all gone wrong? Um, but you're right. You know, seventh to tenth is is the kind of path of these teams. And you know, if you can win that little group somehow, then you, you're having a good season. Like you say, Leicester, Leicester have had this odd run where they beat City and Chelsea and then lost to Cardiff and such. Um, and they're in seventh. You know, where else where else could they end up? Yeah, just to flip back very quickly. Man United play Newcastle uh, tomorrow tonight um, at Newcastle, but you'd, I think they'll they could win that. That puts them three points behind Arsenal. See now, <laughs> gentlemen's bet: who finishes higher at the end of the season? I'll take Man United over Arsenal. You want Arsenal? I don't want the pain of that if I lose. <laughs> I'm, no already, money. I'm already losing one bet this season. I don't, I'm not a professional <laughs> gambler anymore. I, I Maybe I'll put a cap on this. There's no money involved, but like it's you know, who's pointing in the right direction? The Oli Gunners Warriors are on the up, and uh, I'm probabilistically, I'm sure that I'm a favourite for that. But like honestly, from an emotional standpoint, I don't need that. I don't need that. So only three points. Only three points. Anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> Arsenal don't belong in fifth either, right? <laughs> it's... Yeah, but I mean that's the thing. Man United and Arsenal's like numbers across the season are uh, nothing to write home about, nor Tottenham's, but. Um, so the the, the <laughs> point the second place team right now, yeah, yeah. The, but the point is that um, you know Man United's numbers might shape up a little bit with uh, I don't know just confidence <laughs> spilling through the squad. That Look, might help. Watching Paul Pogba play and have fun is almost worth the price of admission. And same th- same is true for Martial. There is talent in that team. There are also mistakes in that team, and they they need some revamps in different ways. But like you need to kind of know who your next manager is uh, or head coach if they're moving to that sort of structure, and and then recruit for what they need. Right? It's it's hard to continually. So one of the great things about Liverpool is they have been aligned for a while, right? Like Klopp's early reign, they actually, they liked him the first season. They signed him to a long contract. And because they signed him to a long contract, that meant that they could have continuity in recruitment and style of play. They could teach him stuff. They weren't going to lose him immediately. They weren't going to lose all the investment in him. Uh, And so 
they actually have been able to aggregate a whole bunch of little gains, including the set piece stuff that you know we're looking at. I think Beasley had a thing a, a week or two ago where they were like plus 11 in that phase of the game, which is which is really significant because like they've only scored 48 goals, uh, which is you know less than than City. But like if you're plus 11 in that phase and you can then let your your you know speedy guys counterattack regularly, which then gets you plus EV goals as well, like that's pretty awesome. So Liverpool have been able to align and 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 grind out results possibly in ways that the models might not anticipate because they've been able to do so. At least that's one of my you know hypotheses. I'm saying this is my opinion. This is not my fact-based analysis. But if you if you're changing a lot and you have to chop and change, it will actually degrade your efficiency across the whole of your organization. And that's something that you know continuity actually is very helpful when it does long-term planning and you're trying to build a dynasty or build a team that regularly challenges for titles. Yeah. Let's look at the other end of the table that's not regularly challenging for title, shall we? We're nearly there, aren't we? You've you've kind of talked us down the table and then <laughs> now we're into the into the mix. Now Huddersfield look in all sorts of trouble, don't they? Uh Huddersfield showed the briefest sign of life, I think, in early November, where they had they had a couple of yeah. of noticeable results. But for the most part, twenty eighteen has uh, has flatlined for them. And it's Huddersfield Burnley tonight. I didn't realise that as well. So that's a huge match down at the bottom. Yeah. Huddersfield absolutely have to win that, I would say. Um, not going to be easy. Uh, Fulham Fulham did small signs of life. Like, uh, they were the only, was it, the first three games of, only three teams went through the first three games of uh, Christmas um, unbeaten. It was Liverpool, Man United and Fulham. And they lost yesterday at Arsenal, which is, you know, that's, that's fine, that can happen. They do have signs of life, but they don't necessarily yeah. have signs of controlling defensive. No. <laughs> they're, just, <laughs> they, they're, they're Swiss cheese right now, and I'm sure that Ranieri is frustrated by this. They're very much going to have to, you know, kind of win the matches they need to win. I mean, they've got Burnley next uh, in about fortnight or so. It is going to be very expensive if they go back down, because they, they basically spent like a Premier League team that was mid-table, expected to be mid-table. Djokanovic was a mess. And then, yeah. Uh, but so, like, let's let's set the stage for this little conversation. Uh, Huddersfield, like, way down in ten points, and they look like they've been troubled for a long period of time. I like them; they're scrappy. They've they've been very thrifty since they've come up. Uh, like they expected to be a bit of a bounce team. Um, so they, you know, they they planned a lot for this. Fulham, the opposite, big money. They're on fourteen now. Uh, Burnley are in eighteenth spot, only on goal difference, um, and they've got fifteen points. And their numbers look terrible this year, and they look very different from last year, which probably explains a lot of why they're down in this spot. Um, now, on uh, the the Hassan Hootel has, has sort of like revitalized Southampton a little bit with two wins over the the December period, and they're on 15 as well with a minus 17 goal difference. Um, they've got a game in hand too. Then we've got Cardiff uh, in 16th on 18, so there's a three point gap there. Uh, Newcastle also on 18 and Crystal Palace on 19. And this is that bottom tier that any one of them could definitely be not safe. Now, you'd prefer to be Crystal Palace as opposed to Burnley, but still there's only four points between them uh, on the same amount of games played, 20. There's, what, 18 matches left in the run-in. What are we thinking here? Uh, Well, yeah, I'd say... uh, Well, I mean, yeah, Huddersfield, Huddersfield are gone. I, there's, there's signs of life in Southampton for sure. I, I, I still want to be positive about them. I, um, I think I think they they will stay up. I, I think the the talent in that team and Hassan Hudel being able to change things from um, 
from Mark Hughes, like they've got a very good chance of staying up, which means that somebody in that range of Fulham, Burnley, Cardiff, and possibly Newcastle are in trouble. Yeah, Burnley are fascinating, mainly, mainly because of that um, that West Ham game, where it was like, okay, they dominate and deserve to win that match. That hasn't happened very often this season. <laughs> and okay, West Ham, second away game over Christmas, maybe the turkey was stretching the sides a little bit, <laughs> maybe they weren't exactly um, you know, 100% out of the races that day, but even so, it was a deserved win, and that was, that was signs of life which we hadn't necessarily seen before. So, I just feel the one team that aren't really showing many signs of life. Newcastle have got this weird way of kind of like eking out point by laborious point. They have Cardiff, 15 goals in 20 games. Like, yeah, that's not good. Not only do you live in Newcastle, but you have to watch this on a weekly basis. It's got to be painful. Ted, please. In oh, Newcastle, sorry. It's a lovely place in Newcastle. <laughs> so, all right. To be fair, I haven't been to Newcastle. Most of the places up north that I've been to have actually been amazing and have a terrible rap. So I was making a joke, and I didn't mean it. <laughs> I'm sorry. There. <laughs> Hey, here you go. Here's a here's a here's a random fact that I've uh, look, looked up. Uh, the is the most pressure events in a game uh, this season is actually is actually Palace. Palace, whoever they played on the thirtieth. Uh, who did they play? Oh, um, uh, Chelsea. When they played Chelsea, obviously they had a lot of running to do. Yeah. But the the <laughs> second most, the second most was uh, Southampton versus Man City on the same day. Ah. So uh, they both at home to huge teams and uh, <laughs> didn't get much of the ball, but ran like soldiers uh, to try and get something out of their the games that they didn't. But I mean, that's the thing with the the, the Southampton thing is their metrics are generally they've undershot their metrics for years now. All if they could just like somehow get close to their metrics, then you'd be like, yeah, they're fine, they're fine. And bit of effort, bit of targeted pressing, a la Hasenhutl, you feel like that Southampton could be, should be, should be, just fine. But it's um, yeah, three wins still tells a story. He's got two of them, and you know I think they've got a tough game coming up, haven't they? Who are they playing tonight? Yeah, away at Chelsea. So probably log another. Raft of pressures tonight. <laughs> it could be a tiring one, but um, if you look at yeah. the numbers, all right. So, like, just take the expected goal stuff. The mm-hmm. Crystal Palace again look like they're mid-table, and in fact have better better numbers than a number of teams that that are yeah, yeah. in that in that middle tier. Like, basically, Brighton and Crystal Palace should be switched, but you know, there's luck in football, and also Crystal Palace long term have underperformed their their scoring numbers um, for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah. Newcastle have been really straggly, you know, like Huddersfield, they're keeping it tight on expected goals, but, you know, maybe there's a talent gap. Like the the three that should probably be the worst would be Burnley, um, Fulham, and Newcastle. But saying the Huddersfield are, are, are now relegated, you, you've sort of sucked in and you're like, Burnley should go down. Fulham, you know, how much do they recover after changing manager? And Everybody else looks like there's a chance. Like Chris, Southampton are definitely the best of that lot. Um, Chris, Cardiff City. I, the fact of the matter is we don't know. And and those last two positions, not just one, but those last two, could actually go to anybody. If Burnley returned to last season's form, then suddenly you know Cardiff and Newcastle might be in trouble. Um, if if Fulham manages to play to their talent level and Ranieri turns them into into you know any sort of semblance of Leicester from before, then you know somebody else is in danger there. It's it, you know, it's fun, it's exciting. Um, yeah, I think 
the stories this year in the Premier League have not been the ones that anybody really expected, and that's been really great too. Yeah, Huddersfield look like the only ones that are toast really at the moment, and um, you'd give them a small inkling if they won tonight, but they have to win tonight, I would say. Anyway, long way to go. It's only uh, 20, 21 games. Um, we shouldn't worry too much. <laughs> but anything has happened. Anyway, we should probably stop, Ted. We've been, we've been rambling on for nearly an hour there. That's a long one for us. Is that what we do? We just ramble on? Yeah, you know, it's uh, all good. All right. We, so had, we, had, we, had, we had all of Christmas to cover, so... Yeah, no, we'll be back and we'll talk more. Tra- there'll be more transfers by this time next week. So we'll we're not going to rename about- ourselves to the Football Ramble, though, are we? Because I think that's a different podcast. Yeah, no, that might, might get sued. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, welcome back to 2019. Should be an amazing new year. Look for cool stuff from us. And uh, enjoy the match on Thursday or the other matches tonight. Yep. See you, boy.